rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Mostly Homeless Podcast. I'm your host, Damn It Damien. Now, friends, beer lovers, ska freaks. This week, we bring you another exciting episode. Me and one of my best friends, Mr. Sean New, we traveled all the way down to Durango, Colorado. It was a five or six hour drive from Colorado Springs to Durango. And honestly, I've lived in Colorado for 11 years. And this is, I, and I've never been to Durango, and oh my God, I've always known Colorado was a beautiful state, but I had no idea just how fucking beautiful this state could be. Um, we made it down to Durango on Friday night, uh, the weekend of the Ska uh, Brewery's 17th anniversary party with Real Big Fish, Nuns of Brixton from Denver, and Buster's Ghost from right there in uh, Durango, Colorado. We got in early, we got in Friday night, Friday, September 7th, and uh, we decided to go out on a night on the town. We went to several bars and breweries all throughout uh, Durango, Colorado. And, oh, my God, Durango has some of the coolest damn people in the world. Who would have thought? Um, every bar we went to, we made friends. Uh, we ended up talking for hours. I, incidentally, hit on every single girl I saw. That's the thing about not being in your hometown is I don't have to ever worry about seeing any of these people again. So I just going out and doing things I never do. I told I can't tell you how many different girls I told I loved them. I told at least two different girls on two different separate occasions that had the hottest legs I had ever seen because I'm a legs man. Um, I asked two or three different girls to marry me. Needless to say, I struck out every single time, but that that was only uh, par for the course. It, it made it even more entertaining and fun. I uh, met this... Uh, Met this guy, Justin, at Carver Brewing Company Restaurant and Brewery. I uh, talked to him for two, three hours. Ran into him the next day at uh, the Scott Brewing Fest. Hung out with him again all day. Saw some great, uh, some Colorado Springs people that I had never interacted before. Became good friends with them. Holy crap, dude. What a good time. Durango was full of fantastic, good, fun people. And boy, the adventures we had. They're a little, little too explicit to throw a pill on this here podcast, friends, because my mama listens. But uh, needless to say, good times were had by all. Stayed at a hostel for the very first time. That was a fantastic experience. It's basically like a big dorm room, uh, a whole bunch of strangers sleeping together, snoring away, um, farting away. And uh, I was the one snoring and farting. Um, good times were had. Uh, highly recommend it. If you're ever in Durango, stay at the hometown hostel. Fun. Uh, and here's the thing. I've been to a few brew fests. My uh, buddy Sean, he's a uh, beer rep for a local brewery, not brewery, um, liquor store here in town, Colorado Springs. Uh, he's one of the managers. Uh, he's the beer buyer. He's been to several beer festivals all over this great state of Colorado. He turns to me in the middle of the Scott Brewery 17th anniversary party and goes, Damien, this is the best brewery festival I've ever been to. And holy crap, he was right. Instead of giving you those little little taster sampler uh, cups you get at a normal festival, he got a full pint glass at the Scott Brewery Fest. Uh, you had beers from like Bristol, who's a Colorado Springs beer. You had Left Hand. You had Avery. You had uh, Great Divide. You had... God, I can't even remember them all. There was like 25, 30 of them. Everywhere you looked, there was beer. And it was all free. Everybody was polite, kind. I got bumped into several times. And every time I got bumped into, oh, hey, excuse me, man. Everybody was polite. Everybody was there to have fun and not be a dick like you get in all these other places. And there was no wait whatsoever. You walked right up to every brewery and boom, got your beer just like that. Fantastic time. Uh, thanks to Bill for uh, the co-founder of Ska for sitting down and talking to us and helping us to get in. Um, thanks to the Real Big Fish guys for throwing us on their guest list. Uh, this this all happened just because I was like, hey, I wouldn't mind going to Beer Fest. Let's see if Real Big Fish wants to do an interview. Boom, boom, boom. It's done deal, folks. I've been wanting to get a brewery on here before. I've emailed uh, several 
throughout the state and never gotten a single reply. Uh, the first, and I emailed uh, the three founders of Scott Brewery. Bill was the first one to write me back and um, took us on a little private tour of the inner workings of Scott Brewery. And then, uh, but before that, I'd interviewed uh, a couple of the dudes from Real Big Fish. We didn't get to talk to Aaron from Real Big Fish, which is kind of a disappointing thing, but we were kind of told that Aaron has done so many interviews over the last 20 years, he's just kind of burnt out on them. So we let some of the... Uh, some of his dudes do the interviews. Uh, we're lucky enough to hang out with drummer Ryan Steen, uh, the new saxophone player Matt Appleton, and Dan Reagan, the um, the uh, only current, the only other current uh, full-time member of the band since its inception. And then, uh, and then later on that night at the El Rancho, the infamous Durango El Rancho, I met Derek Gibbs, who uh, who's the bass player. It was also his birthday, which I did not know at the time, but I know now. And uh, really, just overall, this is one of the best experiences I've ever had. I'm getting ready to jump on an airplane here in less than uh, 12 hours to go to uh, Riot Fest in Chicago. And I don't know if that can compete or top it. Uh, we're not going to ramble too much longer um, because we got a long episode today with Bill from Scott Brewery and uh, the dudes from Real Big Fish. Oh, as I was just saying, I was a little disappointed Aaron didn't want to talk to us, but it was fun talking to Ryland, Matt, and Dan, because they really gave us a different introspective, um, a different part of the band that you don't really get to see too much. You get to get a better feel of the inner workings and what it's like to join a well-oiled machine. Uh, really fun talking to those guys that are funny, smart-ass, and uh, just overall really good dudes to hang out with. I ended up talking to Matt way, well, Matt and Dan way later afterwards at the El Rancho and Derek and all those dudes. and um Really enjoyable time. But talking to Bill, we're going to talk to Bill here in a second. And uh, it, it was just something about him and the conversation we had, and it really just inspired me to take on some more effort and kind of throw caution even more to the wind than already. As some of you guys know, I lost my day job. Uh, I'm currently on unemployment. I do bartend, but I only bartend about one night a week. Not a terrible, not a terribly good uh, field, but it does allow me for a ton of traveling. Um, and we're going to throw some caution in the wind because, as you hear from Bill's story, that's what they did in their brewery. They just put it all in. They doubled down, they gambled, and they won. I might lose this, but I'm not, I don't have that much money to lose because I don't really have that much. Uh, so Bill inspired me to throw it all in. Um, we're going to start that with doing a series of pint glasses. And it's heavily inspired by the Ska Weekend and just buying these. Uh, we're getting these free Ska Brewery pint glasses. I'm thinking, man, this is just so cool. How great would it be to have a mostly harmless pint glass? Because think about it. Beer. You know, you have one or two, ah, oh, you're fine. You have six or seven, or 15, 20. It becomes a different ordeal. It becomes a more mostly harmless experience. And uh, I love beer. I love music. Um, I love pint glasses. And they're really cool. They're something different than T-shirts and whatnot, which we do have T-shirts. Uh, we've launched a uh, pre-order for a series of pint glasses. It's available now at mostlyharmlesspodcast.com in our store. Um, all that money, like, uh, they're going to be available either the last week of September or the first week of October. I've already got the order in. Uh, if you want to go ahead and send me pre-order them now, you get them a couple bucks cheaper. Um, and that helps fund my Chicago trip while I'm out in Chicago and Ride Fest because I know I'm just going to spend so much money. Um, thanks to Bill again for talking to me and inspiring me. We're going to do a series of different pint glasses, uh, different graphic designers, comic book artists and whatnot are going to give us their uh, own interpretation of the Mostly Harmless idea and design. So if this first series of pint glasses, which is just the Koala Bear logo, if that does well, we're going to go ahead and uh, you know, run full steam ahead with this other idea. Uh, I'm going to quit rambling because we we got a long episode ahead of us and I've already talked too much. Uh, I want to do more breweries. If you're a brewery out there in Colorado and you want to be on an episode of the podcast, please give me a call. 
please give me an email, bullshitarmspodcast.com. All my information's there. I want to talk to you. Hey, if you want to sponsor the show, help us uh, spend some more money, give us some money. So we can go on some more awesome trips like this. Please do mostanimouspodcast.com. Uh, we're gonna open this song up. Well, we're gonna open the song up. We're gonna open this up with uh, us joining Bill from Sky Brewery on a little mini tour, and then we're gonna go straight into that interview with him. And then we're gonna uh, go ahead and play Punisher. It's a real big fish. It's off their new album, Candy Coated Fury. And then we'll go straight into the interview, guys. So here we go. Uh, here we join Bill from Sky Brewing as he gives me and my buddy Sean a small little private tour. Thanks again, Bill. Thanks again, Real Big Fish. Thanks again, you. Well, we're in the packaging end of things. Yeah. Yeah. lines right there. Yeah. Bottom lines right here. You can see we're a little tight on space, so we put everything on wheels. Back and forth, so if we're bottling one day, that's what's going on. We'll take up all this stuff in space for canning, move it all back over here and can the next day. Uh, space above us is insulated. Is the, our cold walking storage above us? Awesome. It goes clear across. You can't see it. Then this side over here above us is warehouse. So the warehouse is above us. We're underground right now, so you can kind of see like right at that door is like walkout level. Uh, right up here, uh, you can actually see the welds where the and where the bollards come through the floor. Where they're welded, so the bollards are those posts on the loading dock that keep the truck from like you know smashing into the building, and that's how they're welded up. So that's loading docks above us, and then this is all warehouse above us. So obviously, what you can see here on the floor, fermentation, brew house is down on that end, bright beer tanks are on this end. That big stainless tank you walk by on the way in is a bright beer tank, and then there's three fermenters outside in the beer garden. Wow. Did you say a bright beer tank? Bright beer? Oh, bright beer. Yeah. So, this is bright beer here on the set. Okay. So, bright... Oh, right. What I mean by bright beer is just... Uh, this. Bright. Like this? Okay. Bright and clear and, like, filtered carbonated, ready to go. All right. Packaging tanks. Okay. Put it that way, for lack of a better term. It's just a first term to call bright beer tank. BBTs. All right. Cool. Yeah, you ready to get started? You ready, ready for this? Uh, so you started the brewery, uh, well you started brewing, home brewing in high school. Yes. Because you couldn't buy beer. Yes. Uh, but I'm curious, when did you, what was your, let me get the words right. How old were you when you had your first beer? <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. The very first beer I think I had was uh, a Molson in Canada because we ran out of soda pop on a fishing trip. <laughs> I think I was 11 or 12 years old. Nice. What would you think of it? I hated it. It was bitter, <laughs> awful. Uh, it did the trick. Like, we were dehydrated and needed, like, some liquid uh, as kids. And, it, you know, they, they were like, here, we'll drink beer, you know. And yeah. so we did. Um, and, yeah, that turned into, like, probably more of a passion of, wow, you get fucking hammered off of drinking <laughs> a few beers. So we, we kind of went that route. Um, but, yeah, as far as, like... Uh, like the first batch of brew I ever brewed, I was 18 years old. That was uh, 1986. Um, you couldn't buy homebrew ingredients in Colorado. We had to actually make the long drive up to Laramie, Wyoming, and to actually buy ingredients to, because of the laws at that point in time. Uh, 88, the wind coop opened. Things changed pretty quickly right then. I think the law in Colorado changed right around 87. 88, the wind coop opened. 
Um, yeah, and the rest is kind of history. We were some of those guys that used to go down and see the late, great Russell Shear at the Wayne Coop. Uh, he would, like, let us into the catacombs and let us uh, dig through all of his little homebrew uh, pieces, doodads, things like that. Um, we weren't 21, and I remember, with you know, it's great because this is the governor of our state, John Hickenlooper. Okay, yeah. But John Hickenlooper came in, and Russell saw him and was like, oh, no, I'll get in trouble. And he actually locked my business partner, Dave, and I into the catacombs of the Winkoop knowing that neither one of us were 21 he locked us in to go hunt down our homebrew supplies to keep us hidden from john hickenlooper so that's awesome because otherwise you get in trouble for letting people under 21 in into the brewery we weren't drinking we were nerds searching out homebrew supplies but that's my story and i'm sticking to it uh congratulations on 17 years 17 years yeah fan fucking fantastic um how scary was it when you guys took this out of the basement and turned it into uh, an actual business? Totally frightening. Um, it's funny, I was just finishing up the story with another guy that's here. This is our anniversary party and we're getting ready to rock out with real big fish. But the, the scariest thing was we knew it was going to fail. <laughs> we knew it. So people were like, how did you pick your first space, your first brewery? And uh, it had a shower in it. That's how we picked it. Because we knew we were going to fail. And this place at least had a shower. So when it failed, we could live there until the landlord evicted us officially. And then we would have lost everything and moved on. That was kind of how Dave and I looked at it. Um, The opposite happened, which is great. We grew by, you know, double-digit figures ever since that opening day. Never had a problem, but it's funny. Here we are in this brand new building, and uh, we uh, this building has a shower in it. Does it? Every building nice. that I'm going to be in, every yeah. company that I am from here on out, is always going to have a shower in it to kind of remind me of those like yeah. that that early stage. So you asked how scary it was. It really wasn't that scary because we knew it was going to fail. <laughs> and obviously it didn't here 17 years later. Um, at what point did you go, hey, I, this is an, at what point was it a success? I don't know. I'm still looking for that. Nice. I'm still looking for, uh, it, it, first of all, the money. These guys owe me a lot. <laughs> but, no, I mean, dude, uh, we've been successful since day one. I mean, we just finished up with the Colorado State Fair. Granted, it's just the Colorado State Fair, but I walked away with five medals. I feel it's successful when that kind of stuff happens. Uh, we won a World Bear Cup gold. I mean, I've got one of the best stouts or the best stout in the in the world for a couple of years because it's kind of like the Olympics. It only happens every so often. Um, I feel really successful. Uh, we employ 50 people. There's something like 14 full families that uh, work and, and rely on my liquor license and my ability to make beer. So I, I really look at kind of like my people that work around me to gauge my success. But if they're happy and they're making money, I feel successful. Nice. Um, let's move. Uh, so how much, I mean, other than the fact that you're in a brand new, fantastically bit large uh, brewery, what's changed between the actual process of making beer between those from those high school days? Sorry, you I, know what's what's cool about making beer is making beer is making mm-hmm. beer. Whether you're making five gallons or five hundred gallons or five thousand barrels, yeah. 
it's all the same, and it takes the about approximately the same amount of time. So that's what I tell home brewers and people that come in here that want to, uh, you know, like, how do you do it? What do you want to learn? And it's like, well, it takes five, five to six hours to make a batch of beer, whether you're making five gallons or 5,000 barrels. So you might as well make 5,000 barrels, right. you know, and, like, really go big. Um, but, as far, you know, that, that is what's cool, and, and that's where, like, the... the craftsmanship and like that kindred spirit and like the the brotherhood of brewers kind of comes in it's like seriously the guy that is making five gallons at a time in his kitchen and i don't have that much not in common right. we're, we're basically the same people cool yeah I, I like that you're throwing this huge festival and there are craft brewers from all over the place here so it's not just you guys it's like eh, it's that whole spirit like they let you in the wine the wind coop and here you are letting those guys in here. So exactly. you're not afraid of giving away any secrets or anything? There's no. not... <laughs> if, if you're smart enough to steal it from me, yeah. you can have it. Cool. You know, and, and otherwise, you know, and I think that's how the late, great Russell Shearer looked at it, the wing Cooper. He was like, you guys scare me little. Like, come on in. You can take whatever you want. Go ahead. Go screw it up, kids. Like, yeah. have a good time. And, I mean, we try to, like, pass that on to everybody that we meet. And these are our brothers out here, you know, all these other breweries. And the, you know, the guy, like, starting up, like, homebrewers are geeks. Like, I was a geek. And, like, I mean, you know, I'm just waiting for that 18-year-old kid to come in the door looking just like I was. I was excited. (laughs) It's a great passion. It's a great hobby. And this is cool. Like, the hard part is just keeping yourself sober enough. Uh, yeah. To continue, <laughs> it's a marathon, not a race. Uh, do you still like? Do you personally? What What's your input in the brewing process these days? Well, what I do mostly is I source most of our raw materials and I source our ingredients, and then on top of that, I meet with the brewers as well as the QC people, our lab people, make sure everything's going correctly, and then I just like input a, on recipe formulation, and then I source those ingredients and get them in. Cool. That's basically what I do. Yeah. Um, are you guys, how's this locally sub- sustainable are you guys? I, I don't know anything about it. We, like, you know, like we, we do, uh, there's a beer that we have on right this minute that we just released called the Hop Ivy that's all Colorado ingredients. Okay. Uh, we get our barley from uh, Colorado malting out of Alamosa. The hops came from LaRue Creek Farms in Hotchkiss. It's obviously Durango water. And then we have a, um, uh, a, a lab nerd over in uh, uh, Colorado Springs, and I shouldn't call him a nerd. He's, he's David Bryant. He's an awesome guy. Nice. Um, he uh, he gets the yeast for us, and the yeast is uh, coming from Colorado Springs. So yeah. every ingredient, there's only four ingredients in beer. I think I listed them all: water, hops, yeast, and barley. Um, all come from Colorado. Um, so that's kind of our local input. I mean, you can see here in our facility, it's pretty stinking big. <laughs> There's not a whole lot we can get from a small town like Durango, um, but we do our best. Um, our big input is things like this. We're going to have a thousand-person show today. We're not going to make a penny off of it. It's all going to our local um, community as well as uh, social, which is the uh, you know the, the community of brewers here in Colorado. Um, so. It, you know, between that and like our input into the community, that, that's how we I don't know, do our local thing. Kind of yeah. lost my train of thought. Oh, that's there, all sure. good. That all works. Um, <laughs> uh, this is actually Sean's question. He wanted to know why Durango works so well for you guys and the other breweries here in town. You know, 
I moved here. I graduated from CU in Boulder, and I moved here um, to have a good time. You know, to ski. I didn't care about the money. I didn't care about those sort of things. I, you know, I was dish dogging. I had a college degree, and I, there I was washing dishes in a Korean restaurant here in Durango, and uh, skiing, having a great time, and. That's what this community is not necessarily all about. We're not talking about a bunch of hippies just smoking pot. It's cool here because there's there is a real community. People really care. I mean, what's fun is I just shared one of the brewers from outside of the area, our bear tracker. There's a thing in the newspaper that shows how many bear sightings there were in town, and people really like you know contribute to that here in town to like make sure you got a heads up on where all these bears are at and. yeah, I saw a bear. I mean, they're all over the place. But um, anyway, the this is just such a tight community, and we love it so much that we, you know, we've really this. It fits for us, and we've had a lot of success, and we feel like we owe our community a lot. But we also want to do it our way. Cool. I mean, we're punk rockers from you know the front range, and yeah. like you know, who has. <laughs> People are like Ska Brewing Company in Durango. Well, yeah. it's just who we are. Yeah, I, I remember being like a 16-year-old kid just discovering the internet and just typing in Ska on like pre-Google. It was like altvista.com and yep. uh, whatnot. And you guys always popping up and being like, I want to be there because I grew up in Louisiana in the mm-hmm. middle of, in Shreveport, middle of nowhere, kind of sort of. Not anyway. Uh, yeah, it just always fascinated me. And I was a straight-edge kid at the time. And I was like, Ska beer! Yeah, it's awesome! So, thank you for that. Um, well, cool, man. I'm, are you stoked that you're actually here? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and I'm talking to you. Like, it's great. And, yeah. and then I'm talking to the guy who fucking started it. That's that's the whole reason I do this. I don't. I just do it to meet people. I just want to meet. <laughs> yeah, totally. Shake hands. And the, the, the same way you were meeting the brewers is the way I am with bands. And, and, but and just whatever, a different, yeah. Just a different connotation, because I, I don't... I don't know. I'm going to start home brewing. Um, so uh, this is an exciting time for craft beer. The whole industry is Absolutely. doing incredible. Um, it seems like there's a new brewery or brew pub opening up every day. Are you afraid of saturation? Oversaturation? Yeah, you know, I am a little bit. And I worry about like the young guys getting started because it, this is a business. And you really you know, have to understand your business. In, when we, we started in 95, and in 97 there was a big shakeout, a lot of breweries got shooken out. And I worry about the young guys getting started. But, you know, dude, it's, this is it's sink or swim. It's the same thing with the ska band. It's the same thing with the punk rock band or whatever. You know, like, if your sound hits it, like, you could be the most talented musician in the world. And if you don't have a group around you, the sales force, whatever... Nobody will ever know it. And how many how many guys out there that are the greatest guitar players in the world are not yeah. playing guitar, they're programming computers or whatever they do. So I worry about that. But, you know, dude, that's that's life. And I think that's what, you know, like not to be like a, a super capitalist or anything, right. but, dude, sink or swim. Like you either, you either got it or you don't. So there is a point where we're going to hit saturation. There is going to be a shakeout. There's going to be some stuff. Hey, and I mean, you can talk crap about Bud Coors Miller all day, but dude, those guys went through Prohibition, they went through everything else, and they're still around, so don't diss on them too hard. Yeah. You know, they got their shit together a little bit. Yeah. Um, what did you learn your business sense? Just on the fly, on the go? I have a degree in business oh, from well, uh, CU, but at the same time, it like business doesn't 
having a degree in it doesn't necessarily matter. It's more, it's a school of hard knocks. Anything that you do, like you can sit there and study books all day. Like back to being the greatest musician in the world. You can be the greatest musician in the world if you don't have your shit together or have a business sense, it doesn't matter. Same deal with brewing, same deal with any business. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I studied business and was like classically trained in it, but it's funny, like, I don't even do that here at this company. Yeah. I do the QC and the, like, the art part of, <laughs> of making beer, you know, recipe formulation. Cool. You yeah. still, I, 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 I imagine you still have to have a good head for that stuff, even in that kind of environment. It, you, I would recommend that everybody does. It's cool. math. It's, uh, what did Clinton say the other night at the DSC? Arithmetic. Fucking arithmetic. <laughs> yeah. If you can do arithmetic, you can do anything. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you uh, too much longer. I want to go do some more beer drinking. Uh, 17 years. Where's the company going next? What's what's going on? You know, I'm not sure. I think I think we're all pretty happy as far as the three owners go. Um, we're pretty happy making beer still. And so things are going to just keep on keeping on. Um, if anything, I think uh, we're just going to start to push the envelope a little bit. I'm looking right over here. We just got a, a French oak tank that's like made for wine. In and it's like kind of hanging from the ceiling in here. We're gonna start pumping a lot of funky beers through it. Um, the envelope is—it's just you know—that's what's cool about the envelope is it's once you get to the edge of it, there's another edge, there's right. another edge, there's another edge. You know, so uh, I think we will just keep making really crazy beers, but at the same time, at the end of the day, man, I mean, we we've always had a passion for just quality English ales. And I think there's a really good market for quality English ales in the world. If we can be one of the better ones that does that, like, yeah. I'm cool with that. Right on. Um, anything else you want to throw down there? Throw in? Add? No, just, I mean, whoever's listening to this, just whatever. Like, go go for it. Like, yeah. I mean, there's there shouldn't be anything holding you back. Like, whether it's music, business, brewing, art, whatever. Like, the world, we need you. Come on. <laughs> All right. Cool, Bill. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for talking. Thanks a lot, Damien. Come up. 
again Making yourself at home But no one even likes you Can't you get that through your skull? Don't you see the dirty looks? Don't you notice I don't keep in touch? You're pushing, you're pushing, you're pushing And I've been pushed around too much I guess you're too crazy to see The nuisance that you are But you have reached the end of my toleration Now it's finally time for a confrontation I gotta tell you, you're a punisher You're unbearable, you are terrible Punisher It's amazing how annoying you Hanging out at the uh, Sky Brewery with some of the dudes from Real Big Fish. Who are we hanging out with? My name is Dan. I play the trombone. Sweet. My name is Ryland, and I play the drums. My name is Matt, and I play the saxophone. Nice. Now, you guys aren't original members, are any of you guys? Well, I guess technically speaking, no. No. Um, But I think the original lineup that the public at large would know us as, I guess Dan would be considered one of the original members. I joined in 93, so I didn't start the band, but... Close cool enough. Yeah. Right around when they decided to be a ska band, I joined. <laughs> and I joined uh, coming up on eight years ago, and uh, which is which is always crazy when you're when a band has been around for twenty years and you've been in the band for eight years. It's like, and it doesn't even seem that long. Like, oh, you haven't even been in the band that long. But it's you know, and old Matt here. Yeah, my first show's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? No. No. Uh, yeah. Let's just make it. <laughs> It's coming up, uh, what is it, a year and a half, or is it two years? We're coming up on two years. Wow. Nice. Two years. So, um, wh- when, I was, when I was 16 years old, um, I was listening, well, probably about 15, 16, I was listening to tons of, like, Deftones, Metallica, just bullshit, um, radio rock, and then I got into Goldfinger. Crotch rock. Yeah. And then I got into Goldfinger and Real Big Fish, and they were, like, my gateway bands into this punk rock world, and really just opened up, opened up. 
<laughs> and maybe even there's a whole music out there. Yeah, and it's it was great. And I went from being an angry, pissed off kid to like a lot happier. Oh, good. Um, so I was curious, like what what bands on your early bands for you guys were big influences on the paths that you've taken here. Uh, in my case, it would be actually be real big fish because I was I was 16 and uh, I was listening to mostly Grateful Dead and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and then uh, my friend took me to a real big fish show and we joined the band uh, the following weekend. So that definitely opened up a new world. It's just funny how, like, back in the day, it happens that quickly. Yeah, yeah, and then just next weekend, I was in the so band. So, yeah, they asked me to join the band. So, they asked me to join hey. the band. Now you have all kinds of vetting processes and stuff, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, you know, as far as when the band originally formed, it was just sort of a, a product of what was going on in the scene in Orange yeah. County at the time. And, I mean, I know, you know, just our singer Aaron, you know, he would always talk about just going, you know, and I'm sure Dan too, just going to these ska shows and it was just a great atmosphere and just yeah. wanting to be a part of the scene. So, you know, why not start a band and, and you know, a ska punk band? Because, yeah. as you said, you know, if you want to start another metal band, you know, you're just going to be angry and, yeah. <laughs> you know, and make more angry people even more angrier. I don't know, I, I interviewed this dude who's in like a uh, like super screamy hardcore band. Nicest dude in the world. I think he gets out all his aggressions through doing that kind of stuff, so. It's interesting, which wow. is funny because we're actually very hateful people. <laughs> so you can tell. So we're very the song content. We're very happy, you know, and happy go lucky on stage. But as soon as we get off stage, boy, <laughs> yeah. look out! What what were what for you was like a musical awakening for you? Well, I grew up. My dad's a musician, and I grew up just listening to all sorts of stuff. Um, as far as the ska thing goes. Um, I wasn't really exposed. I grew up in Nebraska, so mm-hmm. I wasn't really exposed to the ska punk thing until I moved to Southern California. But the sort of ska that I was sort of, you know, grew up listening to was like more of the two tone stuff, like Madness and the Specials and Selector and uh, bands like that. So when I first moved to California and, and started hearing this fast ska music, I was like, wow, this is crazy. This is, you know, this is a lot of fun. <laughs> so, um, and I had never even really heard of really big fat. Real big fish, <laughs> real big fish. I'm hungover too. Yeah. Uh, uh, and my band that I was in at the time, we played this battle of the bands, and they were some of the judges at the band. So we always did, a good idea. Yeah. So we met at them and just sort of became friends with them. And so I, I, I became friends with them before I'd ever even really heard the band. So it was cool to you know at that point it was just cool to be able to just go see your friends play and just have a good time. And so. Uh, so yeah, I guess in a way, sort of the influ- my influences were real big fish as well. Nice. So. It's funny how that works. Yeah. What about you? Well, I grew up in Vermont, so I also missed out <laughs> yeah. on the ska punk scene. Or came to Vermont a, a, a little late. You know, uh, um, I don't remember how I first heard of Real Big Fish or Goldfinger or Less Than Jake. All but all those bands kind of creeped in at the same time for me in high school. I guess mm-hmm. before that, I grew up on the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the Police. And um, or the big three is we like yeah to yeah and that uh, but then I was always interested in any band that that had a horn section because I played saxophone and there wasn't a lot of you know I liked rock music I liked pop music but there wasn't a lot of saxophone involved and uh, so anybody that had saxophone was interesting to me um, but I guess I I come at things from a pop world thing. I like pop music and uh, Rubik Fish fits into that real well because it, it's pop music you know yeah. eventually he threw all his records away though and just started listening to Shakira <laughs> solely yeah. yeah that's good pop and pop music and with horns yeah I actually <laughs> got to see Shakira live one time and it was it was actually pretty 
Was she doing her awesome. hip shaking dance yeah. that she does? Uh, what's it it's called? It's a CD. Oh, you couldn't tell. Oh, it's like this podcast. You can't see us. Yeah. Oh yeah. We're not even in the same room. Yeah. It's all <laughs> editing, editing magic. Um. So how did you guys end up? Uh, I, I'm sure, like you probably started playing saxophone in school. Yeah, yeah. Like, how, how did you guys pick up the instruments and become musicians? Essentially, I chose saxophone because my next door neighbor played saxophone, and he was two years older than me. I thought he was really cool. And uh, so I started, in, you know, in fourth grade, they'd have you pick an instrument. So I picked saxophone because of that. And uh, that was it. It was because of my neighbor. Yeah. He made saxophone really cool. So. I always yeah. wanted to be in the band, but uh, my parents couldn't afford um, the brass instruments. So, mm-hmm. But we acquired a violin, so I ended up playing violin ah. through my eyes. I kind of wish I had still gone that bandway so. sensitive very sensitive play, inter- play instrument trumpet and I wish I knew how to play violin yeah, I'm not very good but I played it for 10 years yeah. I started trying to figure it out last week I got a little ways into it yeah, yeah I'm working on it I started playing drums because uh, a friend of mine who was two years older than me I thought he was really <laughs> cool so I decided I wanted to play no actually that's the real story <laughs> I had I had this buddy and I thought he was the coolest. I thought he was the bee's knees. He was like the coolest cat ever. Cause you know when you're twelve, like the age difference between twelve and fourteen, like that when you're that age, it's huge. Like oh man, he's so cool. Yeah. And and I, you know, I was a, I, I had to save up uh, money for like a year and I bought this really shitty drum set that I actually still have uh, to this day. Um, and uh, yeah, I never looked back. Cool. It was you know it was I, you know it was. It was definitely a risk because it was like, I just knew, I just thought my friend was cool. So it wasn't like, my dad was just like, are you sure you want a drum set? Like, I'd never even thought you, you know, you never even expressed any interest. And now all of a sudden, yeah. so my, you know, so of course my dad kept trying to talk me out of it. But as soon as I got one, I just, you know, it was great. I loved it and still playing to this day. So did something right. Yeah. So thank you, Tommy Cabela. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember his name. Yeah. He had, that uh, big, he had a big impact. He did. Yeah. Was he the first dude you saw naked, too? No, that was... I probably shouldn't talk about <laughs> uh, We called him Coach. <laughs> <laughs> it was a code name. <laughs> uh, it was the same thing. Public school was... You know, they were like, okay, fourth grade, you got to pick an instrument. So third grade, my aunt, who was a uh, music teacher herself, brought home a bunch of different instruments... And I want to play saxophone. And uh, so she brought home a trombone. So this is, <laughs> we have a lot of these sitting around. Everyone wants to play saxophone. We don't have any saxophones. So you got maybe try this for a little while. And it was mostly, you know, when you're, what is that, nine years old, eight years old? You're more concerned with how much work it's going to be. You know, like, oh, okay, this thing's heavy. I can't really reach all the positions. Uh, this is a pain in the ass, you know. So then she brought him a trumpet, and that just hurt. I've got big lips, and that hurt. And then, then she finally brought home a saxophone, and it just wasn't what I imagined it to be. It, I don't know. It's people don't think about what it feels like to play an instrument, but you can just tell when it doesn't fit. You know? So then I went back to trombone, and that's definitely more of a personality fit. And uh, same thing, you know, went through the school uh, school music programs. I think you know when people really find their instrument that 
they can, I don't know, I guess speaks to them or they can connect with. I think those people end up playing music, their instrument, the longest. I think it's all those people who just get stuck with an instrument. Yeah. You know, and they just play it through school because they never really liked it. So I think there's something to be said for, like, when you really find that instrument that suits you, like, you know, those are the people who probably, whether it, whether it's professional or not, just right. they just play it for the rest of their life just because they love it. You know, so so it's a good thing we found our instruments. <laughs> I play my instrument every... You know, it's like uh, Woody <laughs> Allen, right? I mean, when he's playing clarinet, you can tell that that's his personality. Yeah. You know? yeah. He, I, Even uh, though he makes movies or whatever. Yeah. 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 But he'd rather just hang out and play clarinet. Right, right. Like, yeah. that's... That, I just it, watch fits, it. it fits so well. Yeah, there's a fascinating documentary, like a two-part, like four hours long, I just watched about Woody Allen. And, oh, and it's, took, pr- it's pretty new, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's on Netflix. It just came on Netflix yeah. about a month ago. It's fantastic. Good chance you should watch it. But yeah, they do talk about how Ryan he's like... just came on Netflix last night. Yeah. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Um, <laughs> Now we can't use it. Mm-hmm. Was it a D- what DVD? Was was it a DVD or you just come uh, on it? Right on the laptop. Oh, nice. Yeah, sorted out the whole thing. Mm. You can clean it up. <laughs> you can clean it up. I'm not cleaning it up. <laughs> I think we have derailed <laughs> from, <laughs> that's from the topic. Talking about that's how it's supposed to work. <laughs> no, um, so at what point did... Uh, it's obviously uh, the music thing has worked out pretty well for you guys. At what point did you guys go like, "This obviously. is it. This is all I want to do." I mean, this, this is pretty. Well, um, for me, it was just. I think, I I started playing music, I guess, professionally when I was seventeen, and after I left high school, it was kind of one of those things where I kept saying to myself, "Well, maybe next year I'll start college," and then yeah. a year would go by. Well, maybe next year, and and then pretty soon it was when I started getting into my like late 20s, I was like, well, I guess I'm never going to go to college. I guess I'm just doing this now. Um, so it was never really, you know, a predetermined, you know, I never really, like, thought about it. It just kind of, I just sort of did it. Um, and luckily, I, my parents were cool enough about it where they weren't like, no, you have to go to college. You have to do this. I mean, they were really supportive, and, and they were like, yeah, just do your thing. I was like, sweet. Yeah. So it's, and I feel, you know, I feel really, you know, feel really lucky to be able to be able to do this, you know. Yes, they do. They're, yes. I mean, yes, they do feel lucky. I mean, definitely, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. You know, yeah. like you want to try and be a good musician, but, um, but uh, I feel, you know, feel lucky that I'm able to be here with these guys right oh, now. Oh God, not me! And you find people. <laughs> so lucky I'm happy you're here. here. But I, I don't know if it's something that you can really just decide. I'm going to be a musician for a yeah. living, and that's what I'm going to do. Like, you know, I, I've got friends that are like the f- the first time I ever played in front of people. That was it. I'd never wanted to do anything else. You know? Yeah. So they just know in that moment, kind of like with the trombone thing. It's like they just know, and that's that's it. Yeah. They're they're addicted to the life of on the road and near pov- poverty lines. <laughs> yeah. You know, with the with the band as a whole, when we first got. Uh, popular we've made our first record on mojo records and uh, made mtv videos and stuff it was this definite you know line in the sand and it was like okay we're gonna go do this who can't go who can you know who's ready to do this and some of the guys that the band was divided in half the the rhythm section were all well into their 20s and had jobs and then the three horn players we were all fresh out of high school and we're kicking around city colleges, you know, knowing that at some point the band was going to do something. But uh, so it was it was just this day. It was, you know, when Aaron called around and said, 
okay, we're booking a tour. We're going to be gone for like a year. It's, you know, <laughs> this is the time to decide, guys, you know. I mean, we'd already kind of been messing around with like promo photos and stuff, you know. Like, but you never really know when, and it was actually this day. It was actually a phone call. And so everybody's life's changed and uh, um, we all had to quit our jobs anyway. So you, you just, in a way, you do decide. You say, we're going we're gonna to make it go with this. Um, and ever since, you know, we've lost a lot of band members just for the uh, fact of wanting to rejoin life, you know, at, and saying, oh, I really don't know what it's like to <laughs> to go live in that world. Yeah. You know. We definitely live in sort of a our own little fantasy world that kind of whatever we want to create yeah. for ourselves. And we've become mutants, you know. You become really good at waking up at noon, playing a sound check, drinking beer, you know. <laughs> They're not useful skills, but, you know, you get pretty good at And then blowing away a crowd all night and then uh you know then you get up and do it again yeah but it's not it's not really stuff that you can go put on a resume you know, yeah you've noticed over the years what, what sort of skills do you have well i can drink a whole bottle of whiskey and still come to work the next day yeah. <laughs> hmm yeah that's well i mean i guess that's a that's a plus yeah. isn't it that works in the bartending industry you know yeah i can throw up into water bottles and play the trombone at the same time <laughs> It's you, yeah. It's definitely the older you get, you've definitely kind of put yourself in a position where it's like, okay, because you know when you're still young, you're like, okay, yeah, you know, I could still go do this, I could do that. But you know, you start getting into your 30s, and then pretty soon you're getting into your late 30s, and and all you're like, oh, this is this is it. Like you know, yeah. I think there's that process you go through where you're just trying to make still make the music thing happen, and then you're making it happen for a while. Yeah, like, cool. And then you then you get to an even older age where you're like. Oh shit! I better make sure this keeps working. Yeah. <laughs> this job at the copy shop—they don't care that I've eaten every type of mammal in the world. <laughs> it's not really. I have, I have photos of ghosts. You know that that—they don't care. Yeah. <laughs> so how scary is it being you know Fucking not having a real a real, I guess a real job out of it? That doesn't sound right, but that kind of idea. Like in our cases, scary? we have wives that have real jobs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, healthcare. I hope. I I, I, well, I I literally like get anxiety <laughs> when I think about like going to work in a cubicle or like going oh, to get a man, job. Like I I get stressed thinking about it. Um, well, what job would you even get? Though? I don't know. Yeah. You don't have to get worried about that because you wouldn't get a job. Like that. <laughs> Nobody's going to hire you. I mean, I'm pretty resourceful <laughs> and all, but. Coffee shops aren't hiring master's degrees students, you know. Yeah. I think you're going to be okay as a homeless person. Yeah. I mean, you I don't like know, one. shit, I'd probably start mowing lawns or something, yeah. I don't know. Well, I'd recommend bartending, I bartend, and it's, uh, you know, I don't know how to do it, been doing it a year. If, yeah. if the name of the drink isn't what the drink is, I can't make it, but... Uh, Let's see, he's been a drummer so long, and someone will ask for a whiskey, and he'll fill a milk glass full <laughs> <laughs> There you go! <laughs> I got a head. Looks about fair. <laughs> I got heavy hands. You know, <laughs> that's that's why I make the good money. I got the heavy. Yeah, I mean that's. I I wouldn't have an answer for that. Like, what would you do if you weren't playing music? Play music. Uh, I don't have an answer for that because I don't play music know. for less money. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm a DJ. How many yeah. days on the of the year are you guys on the road? Pretty uh, significant, about right? Half, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, on a on a generally, yeah, gener for sure, 150 days a year. Yeah, sorry. 
150 gotta, shows a year. Got to wind me up. Or 150 <laughs> days. 150 shows a year. Probably 100. Yeah, I mean, anywhere from 200 days, pro- yeah. around 200 days a year, we're, we're actually on the road. Yeah. You know? And this has been a pretty busy year, so, I mean, maybe be more than that. Yeah. What do you do year. in the downtime? Um, well, Nintendo. because we're always constantly sort of touring throughout the year, we never really have a chance to... You get about two weeks at a time. Yeah, so you never really have a chance to ever really settle in. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, uh, you know, we have a few shows left, and then it's funny because we still have shows over the next month, but I still think of it as we actually have, like, a month off, even though we still have a few shows in that time, but it's, like, it's the most time we've had off all year where it's, like, you can actually sort of, you know enjoy home and you because it seems like whenever at least for me whenever we get home i'm just thinking about okay well i know we're leaving in eight days so i can i'm not i'm not really present at home i'm just thinking about okay this is what i need to do because i have to take care of this and take care of this because i'm leaving in a few days and at home he's not present (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i was gonna say my whole time at home is spent recovering from having been gone for so long like catching up with all the bills that went unpaid and all the services that have been canceled and all the <laughs> shit that's happened to wherever I live and and then we, we leave again and then you still manage to like climb a mountain and yeah. record a, a symphony or something while you're home too right yeah but that's easy <laughs> I, I do that that's easy too yeah I mean I climb know. a mountain this is walking right it's very busy when we're home it's not like yeah. you get home and you're like ugh it's a yeah, I've got, there's always a lot of stuff you got to catch up on. I've got a wife and a four-year-old daughter, so I get home and my wife just hands me the daughter and says, "This is your problem for the next nine days." <laughs> so I and she works a lot, so the daughter, no, the the wife. So, uh, there's not a lot of time to take care of the place, raising a kid. So I, I kind of whip the whole household back into shape and then <laughs> leave like Mary Poppins. Like a very manly, manly Poppins. Poppins. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can. I can only imagine that. You know, our trumpet player. He's about to have a baby with. Well, with his wife. He's not about to have a baby. His wife is. (laughs) But like, hearing stories from Dan is especially like when you first have the baby is like just so many sleepless nights and that like when you actually get to go on tour you're like oh it's kind of like a little vacation (laughs) get to sleep in and just drink beer and. Hang out. I woke up at 9 a.m. yesterday. I was like, oh, wow, I slept in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, those kids, man, what do they go to bed at 8 o'clock at night and yeah. wake up 5 a.m.? Yeah. First crack of sunlight, like, wow, let's yeah. go. Right, and, yeah, if the sun's up, you can't argue with them. And you're like, <laughs> I guess it's daytime. The sun is up, and it's a beautiful day, and, and you need to be up. And it's great oh, because that sounds so cute. It's great because in a month or so, when it's uh, I'm sure when it's daylight savings, and it's oh, yeah. it's you know yeah oh, get yeah. a get a little extra sleep. Do you have any? No. no. Thank the fuck Christ. <laughs> <laughs> There's a dog that looks like this. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah. My dog is <laughs> trying to. So. Cool. Um, let's talk about the new record. Yay! Has it come out yet? I've it's had a copy been, for a while. It's been out since July 31st, yeah. I think. So yes, it is out. It is available in all forms, CD and MP3. Oh, no vinyl? There's a vinyl. Uh, I think we're working on it. Oh, man. We're working on it. Our, our label thinks that um, vinyl is dead. So, no, I don't know. Uh, uh, I think we're working on it. I yeah. think we're going to end up doing probably like just 
we'll just make them as we go. If we sell out of them, we'll make more because luckily you don't have to make thousands upon thousands. I think you can do. <coughs> anyway. No. Uh, I, I, wanted, I wanted to apologize because like I haven't been following the band until until I got the uh, album from the publicist in my email box. I'm like, this is fucking fantastic. Why? And I apologize for having left the fold, and I've come back and <laughs> well, listened to everything that's on Spotify. That's good that something we did get you back into the fold. Yeah, yeah, and it's great. It's it's probably it's as good, if not better, than like turning the radio off, which I know is probably the like. Oh, it's not as good as that album. I don't want to listen to that. <laughs> but uh, but it's fan fucking fantastic. What was what was the uh, process like writing it? I know Aaron writes what ninety percent of the songs. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's definitely we're almost like a cover band of ourselves. You know, we yeah. we have conversations about you know what would we have done. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we work we work really fast. That's sort of the key. Um, part part of it is that we're not always. We're not definitely not home long enough for any one time period to record a record, so we have to sort of split it up over months. Excuse me, coffee. <coughs> and then uh, we found that uh, the best way to really capture the energy of the live show on the record is to just work as fast as possible, not do too many, not overthink it too much. You know, let, let the music sort of stand on its own. And uh, and really, uh, it's a lot of Aaron just sitting there by himself tweaking it, you know, <laughs> staying up all night for weeks on end. Well, and I think, uh, and I think that you know you kind of made a comparison to turn the radio off, and I I think we weren't. In, I don't know if we were totally trying. <laughs> like, oh God, I can't wait to hear what he's about to say. Yeah. And I don't know if it's, <laughs> I can it's, hear the wheels turn. <laughs> it's not something that we. He must be present. <laughs> necessarily set out to do, but I think we were able. To, I personally think we were able to sort of capture capture that sort of reckless abandon that that the earlier stuff had, which. I think when you're younger teenagers, and I don't know, Dan, you you made the record turn the radio off. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you say that you're not really thinking about what you're doing then? No, you're, I was you, stoned. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, point is, you're not you don't obsess over it, and we were just trying to play the parts. You know, we had a couple guys in the band that weren't the best musicians at the time. You know, they, they we were all friends. You know, when you're in the local scene, you just have funny guys on stage. Yeah. You know, jumping around like. And so when it came time to really make a record, boy, were we wasting a lot of time, you know, doing stuff over and over again, teaching people the parts. Like, we've been playing this song for four years. What do you mean you don't know it? (laughs) So now that we're better musicians, (laughs) I think what we're able to do is sort of, is, you don't have to think about it. You can just play. And um, I think there's definitely an energy captured on the record and um, that maybe necessarily hasn't been... Yeah. captured in a while so it was yeah. and it was great to have had, this guy we had a long sort of learning curve where we were putting out uh, greatest hits album collections and uh, covers album and live old songs stuff live and stuff the whole time we were sort of honing this space we converted our our warehouse into a recording studio and it sort of got better and better and better as these records were made until it was finally ready. It was finally ready to do a real record. In. <laughs> we knew right where to put the drums in the garbage. <laughs> and we got Matt, and he can play everything and uh, is pretty experienced in the studio. So yeah. it helped a lot. What I like about it is is that it's kind of a, th- like, like I was saying, it's a throwback kind of sort of back to those days, but it feels authentic and not forced. Like some of those bands will, like, Weezer pops in the top of my head, and they'll try to make another blue album, and it just mm-hmm. doesn't feel 
doesn't feel honest and candy coated hearts feels yeah, in those early days there was a lot of Aaron was curious. writing a lot of the stuff because <laughs> because um, the two other main guys in the band Matt and Andrew who started the band with Aaron they 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 only really liked two bands they liked Sublime and they liked um, 311 so Aaron would you know when they'd write songs that's what the rhythm section would sound like and then the rest of the the horns and the guitars and the vocals would all sound like Aaron. Well, as those guys left the band over the years, Aaron sort of... I mean, it's weird. We, you, you want a band to work like the most pure democracy and everyone writes everything and everyone shares in this grand jam session and everything like that. But we've noticed on this record that when it's all Aaron, it actually sounds the most like Real Big Fish. It's, al- it's always been his story. And it's always been sort of his vision. So, you know actually not contributing a lot of music <laughs> yeah. sort of helped the overall picture. And I think Less Than Jake has said that. They did a record where they each wrote their own songs and then they kind of tried to bring it together as an album. And they said it was just a train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, sometimes, you know, you just get, you know, the band itself has a vision. It's its own, it's its own entity. And in this case, it's Aaron's twisted mind. And and he can, he can only do what comes out naturally, you yeah. know, which, which luckily, and, you know, not everybody can do that because, you know, you'll have people that are, trying to write the hit song or whatever and just the stuff that Aaron does it just pours out of him and it's just and and I think that's one of the reasons why this band's been able to go for as many years as it has because we're not trying to do anything we just want to have fun and hopefully people will come to the shows and have fun with us how is it joint is this your first record yeah it's my first record with him yeah what is it like joining this machine this beast oh it's been great it's been a lot of fun best job I've ever had what bands were you in before did you say Uh, Goldfinger oh you were in Goldfinger Mm -hmm. Um, we scalped Yeah. Of, uh, that Goldfinger is one of those bands, as I was saying earlier, it fucking changed everything for me. Ah, cool. Well, I, I used to make records with the lead singer. I was his engineer. And oh, nice. um, so I, I never really meant to be in a band. I mean, yeah. I always wanted to be in a band, and then, uh, but I, I kept going to school, and I went to a couple colleges and tried to do other things because everybody was telling me music wasn't a real option. But then I kept coming back to it and then ended up in the recording world making records and... Um, and ended up in this band. Yeah. And so being in the band's been great, being on tour's been fun, and then making a record was really awesome because I've made a lot of records, so I feel comfortable in the studio, and it was a lot of fun just being a guy that sings and plays and doesn't have to worry about mic placement too much and EQing things and <laughs> let somebody else worry about that, so that was kind of cool too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been great. I had a lot of fun making the record. I'm glad the first record I'm on is so good. I'm proud of it. I'm proud to be on it. You, you sound really good on it too. Oh, thanks, play a Barry Sax and man, it's a whole different thing. I haven't heard the record yet, but I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> Still don't know where to get a copy. Yeah, so I um, don't have a copy yet. I gotta get a copy. Oh, yeah. What I are don't. you gonna do with it though? How are you gonna listen to it? Do you even have a CD player? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it. I keep a stack of them in my house like trick or treat sort of candy mm. <laughs> people come over I'm like hey take one and I watch him go uh, as he reaches delicately for an invisible stack of CDs and jerks his hand back like oh but I don't want to commit that means I'll you know it's sort of a sociological experiment I like to hand people CDs and go here you throw this away <laughs> sure you need some coasters yeah um, so they're, ki- they're probably going to be kids I'm I'm assuming there are going to be kids here today. Um, that their parents like met, went to you guys at shows, <laughs> then, yeah. and now they're introducing this whole new generation of kids into it. And I'm sure your kids 
whatnot too. Um, I mean, you were talking a little bit about Dad, the longevity. You suck. <laughs> um, what does like why? I, I feel like maybe it's because I'm in Colorado, which still has a very vibrant ska scene, but it feels like it's growing again, once again, and people are ebbs and flows. Yeah, I can't get the words out, but uh, you know, what does why the longevity like? It doesn't seem like you guys... I mean, you guys hit the apex, but you not, never drop below this good level. Whatever level that is. I think it's because we're such good-looking guys. Yeah. yeah. It was a fantastic red beard. Well, I think where other bands stopped, Real Big Fish didn't stop. Yeah. That's all there is to it, yeah, right? Yeah, it's that whole thing. You know, we're terrible baristas, so yeah. you have to, we have to stay out on the road and just... And we've expanded. You know, we, we play all over the world, too. You know, when we first started, it was mostly in the States, and... And it's not like we're any bigger anywhere else. It's it's about the same all over. We've sort of found that that watermark, I suppose. Yeah, we've. I think just we because we've never stopped touring. We've never given fans a chance to forget about us. I guess. <laughs> um, and I think that's huge because I mean we're not a big air, radio airplay band. So, um, so yeah, that's just been our way of keeping staying relevant with our fans and just with people coming up. And I think uh, ska music goes away and comes back. In, in this natural way that people just sort of decide they want uh, more of an experience when they go see a concert. You know, you can, you can have like a real heady experience and sit there with your friends and shut your eyes and, oh, uh, as he shuts his eyes and squints. That's <laughs> a real emotional experience. And, uh, or you can have like a dancing experience. And so I think it goes away and comes back based on that. You know, there was, there was the sort of dour... Uh, alt rock scene throughout the 90s, and then as the end of the 90s were coming, you saw a lot of really positive bands. You saw um, um, the ska scene get popular again, but then you also saw bands like Squirrel Nut Zippers and uh, and then the Swing Cherry thing. You know, yeah, you had yeah. these really people wanted to have fun again. Yeah, yeah. dance dance oriented. It's bands. like that movie, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. <laughs> so then, and then I got all serious and weird again for a while, and so now maybe people are just excited to be happy and dance with each other. Again. Yeah. We go to these festivals all over the, all over the world, and this is this weird like gypsy steampunk culture that's that's yeah. all over. And uh, I had no. And idea. They don't even really care what band they're listening to as long as they can dance and go crazy. Yeah. So it's it's, uh, it's kind of a warm feeling, I suppose. We played we played a bunch of festivals we'd never played before, um, kind of throughout England and Europe, um, and yeah, just. We're dancing, but yeah, it's just it's it's weird to experience that sort of culture just because you just don't think of it. They're just like because you'll just have this crazy, uh, just all these different sounding bands, and yeah, just people just want to have fun. And it's it's I guess my point is it's great to see that it's great to see that people you know because sometimes we'll just play like purely like metal festivals, and uh, and you know it's weird for us. We're to like the toothpaste <laughs> commercial right in the middle of it. Nice. <laughs> Cool. Yeah, we're real excited about the scene coming back. Uh, we hope to do everything we can to sort of foster that. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, uh, our time's about up. Uh, anything else you guys want to throw in there? Add? Just come see us out on the road. We're going to be out for the rest of our lives and uh, <laughs> come to a town near you, usually once a year. Okay. Uh, pick up candy coated fury. I always say furries because I'm a. <laughs> You're I a like sick strange, bastard. <laughs> strange internet <laughs> sites. <laughs> CandyCodedFurries.com Like CandyCodedFurries. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, right, uh, thanks, fellas. Gentlemen, that was, that was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, buddies. Well, thanks again to uh, Bill and Rylan and Matt and Dan 
for all hanging out with us this weekend and making this one of the most memorable weekends in existence. And I really, I really shouldn't tell you guys this, but uh, the Sky Brewery Festival, the hands down the best brewery fest I've ever been to. Everyone should go next year. It's sold out about a week in advance this time around. I expect it to sell out even quicker next year. And uh, congratulations to Skybury for 17 years. Uh, congratulations to Real Big Fish for 20-whatever years. Uh, seriously, though, Skybury, thank you guys for doing what you do. Bill, thanks again for talking to me and inspiring me to kind of try to double down or don't and throw it all in and take it to the next level uh if you guys are interested in buying mostly harmless pint glasses they're going to be available very soon at mostly harmless please i'm going to riot fest in chicago this weekend i know i'm going to spend way too much money uh please if you're interested save a couple bucks go ahead and buy them right now from mostly harmless it's going to help me eat while i'm out in chicago but if you saw me you know i could loot stand to lose about 30 pounds maybe i shouldn't be eating uh, anyway guys uh we're gonna go ahead and end this episode with another song off of uh real big fish's newest album candy coated fury uh this is gonna be i dare you to break my heart which they've got a killer video i wish i'd asked him about the video but uh, oh well hindsight's always 2020 uh again if you like the show please check us out at mostharmlesspodcast.com please buy a t-shirt buy a pint glass um Maybe I'll get some coffee mugs up there in the future. Uh, please visit iTunes. Leave us a little iTunes re- uh, review. And uh, like us on Facebook. Every little like, review, whatever, that helps us continue the show. It helps show that we have got that recognition and that power. And it helps get me uh, in with some great PR people. Uh, again, if you're out at Riot Fest in Chicago... Look out for me in my Most of the t-shirt. I'm going to be the guy that wears his own t-shirt. I'm probably going to wear it all the whole weekend while I'm out there. Uh, we've got some killer interviews coming up. Uh, I've got On Tap, which doesn't mean they're going to happen, but I've got On Tap Matt Allison, producer Lawrence Arms, Alkaline Trio. Uh, I've got Toby Yegg from Red Scare uh, Records. He's going to sit down and talk to us. We're going to talk to the Atlas Moth. We're going to talk to Isaac from The Arrivals. And that's not including the bands that I'm going to uh, ambush at Riot Fest and talk to. Uh, hopefully we can uh, sit down and get a talk with uh, Ryan from Off of Their Heads. And I've got a whole bunch of other stuff planned out. So, All right, guys. Uh, this is going to be I Dare You to Break My Heart from Candy Coated Fury by Real Big Fish. Thanks for listening.
And we have had our fun You won't have your chains on me You won't claim me as your only one I've got one thing to say As I push you far away Did you think someone like you Could make someone like me love you anyway? The most important thing That I have ever learned Is if you're not doing the hurting You're the one who's getting hurt Oh yeah I have cried As much as I can cry Just give it a try Come on and give it your best shot I dare you to break my heart It's gonna take more than you got